Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. All right, there it is. We are recording, and I am excited for this one. Uh, honored, privileged to be able to speak to this particular person. Um, our teams have worked together in the past, but I am. This is the first time I've had a chance to really learn from this person. Who who is he, Casey? Stop stop leading this on. Who is this marketing leader, thought leader, and um, particular story he's he's been through where he started a company where there was no marketing, and now it is a publicly traded company with multiple products across multiple geographies. What is that adventure like? We're going to get into that has his PhD, former professor, a student at heart, published numerous articles, white papers. Again, quite the thought leader, an honor to have him here. Chief Marketing Officer at Encino, Jonathan Rowe. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Casey. Thrilled to be here. And that's quite an introduction. I was thinking I was excited to hear from whoever was going to be speaking. Yeah, I know. You're like, wait, uh, oh, oh, geez, that's me. <laughs> oh, man, well, I'm excited you're here. And and even just on the on the prep we've done beforehand, it just was exciting to hear about the different facets of I can't wait to to get into it. So I'm going to pass you this thing. It's heavy, but I know you got you got that beach workout going. So here we go. Ugh. OK, so here you go. Thor's hammer. You got it. OK, got nice. it. Yeah, that was that was quick. It was good. You were like, give me that hammer. I'm ready to go, Casey. I'm so, I mean, marketing Thor's I'm hammer. passionate. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. No, I think in a big fan of the, the show and, and, and thrilled to be here. I, I think to me, as I think about different myths, right? And, and I know you've got a, a great following and audience, right? Predominantly marketing folks. And one of the things that when I got to Encino, um, I was sort of the 10th employee, right? And we were just wow. getting the company started. And one of the things as I stepped into marketing with, with kind of almost a, a blank canvas, right, which is a both overwhelming but exciting moment, um, I remember kind of thinking about, okay, what to, to be building a marketing organization, a brand, and a company, what, what are the things that are important? I thought back to a lot of what I've read and researched over the years around marketing. And I'm always struck by, you know, if we go way back to the, the financial crisis or, or situations sometimes where companies either struggle or when revenue kind of maybe slows down a little bit, I was always sort of taken by the fact that often one of the first things that gets cut um, in those organizations is marketing. And that I'm sure to your audience oh, and yeah. me, that, that drives me crazy, right? And, and and why is that? And to your point about the myth and the hammer, I would like to hammer that and slam that down because to me, that means that organization doesn't see any value in marketing. And, right. and that's a shame because the purpose of marketing is to help grow and drive revenue. And I always like to think of a very basic, simple formula. I'm a, I'm a simple guy. I can, you know, complex things overwhelm me. And so I like to think of things in very simple ways. And so, for example, if, if I um, sort of either reached into your pocket here or asked you to give me $20 and you gave me that $20 and I took that and I looked at all the different marketing channels we had, I thought about our, our different messaging and I invested that where I think there'd be a lot of value in reaching our target audience. And then I tracked and measured that and I could come back to you and say, Casey, that $20 I pulled out of your pocket when you weren't looking, I'm now going to give you $100. And okay. you might say, hey, I'm going to take 
50 of that and give you 50 and let's go do more of that. Do more of that. Yeah. Or take a hundred and let's do even more. Right. But, but to me, that's the basic premise of marketing. And so I really, of the different things that I anchor around and really drive me and I'm like to, to bust with that, that Thor's hammer is this idea that obviously when companies grow, I think marketing needs to make sure they are, they are part of driving that growth. But secondarily, um, if you're part of a company or you join a company where things maybe aren't going the way you want it to, you should be investing in marketing, but you should do it in a way that you can illustrate and showcase the value. Right. And, you know, this is a really interesting take on this because I, I know we've definitely had marketing therapy on the show where people are like, man, you know, kind of, and I'm with them. I'm, I'm wearing with like, oh, they, they're letting go of marketing, especially when COVID was really hitting strong at the beginning. Uh, but it's not like we can always blame everyone else for the fact that they did that what you brought up here is the organization doesn't see the value. If they don't see the value, you can't blame them at all for it, right? And so there's some kind of responsibility on us as marketers. And you mentioned the, the 20 and 100, that's an, a no brainer. You give me hundred back, I'm giving you, I'm taking a mortgage out and I'm gonna give you as much as I can. I want that multiple, let's go. Um, so what kind of responsibility is there on the marketing side to make sure the organization sees the value and then how? Yeah, great question, Casey. And, and I want to get your thoughts on this as well, but I would say it's all on the marketing organization, right? Okay. To your point, um, th there's always going to be challenges and things from whether it's a budgetary perspective or because there's many other functions that most organizations, right, who are also um, asking and trying to invest money for what they think is appropriate. And so what's important from a marketing perspective is first knowing it is your responsibility to show value. And so from day one, you need to start not only putting in place from a marketing perspective, the what I'll call, I don't, I don't want to call it necessarily infrastructure, but two things, the systems to be able to track and measure, right? Because marketing can be a tricky and difficult thing. And you mentioned some of the work that we've done together in the past, right? We use marketing automation systems. Um, we use Salesforce CRM and, and part out for marketing automation. We use Google Analytics, right? There's there's so much today that gives us a lot of data it can be overwhelming because yeah. it's all kind of sometimes in different places. But first and foremost, you need to make sure before you're doing or while you're doing marketing activities, you need to ask yourself the question, how am I going to measure the success and the value and impact of this? Because when you go to ask for money for a marketing budget, whether it's for the, for the fiscal year ahead or for a specific project, if you don't have a way of saying, I'm going to need X dollars, and this is the value I think we can drive. And here's how I'm going to me measure it. And I'm going to come back and give you updates. And so, you know, when I think about all of our marketing activities at Encino, from day one, I very much put in place and worked. And we have an incredible team. We actually have now over almost 80 people on the marketing team at Encino, which, which is really? extraordinary. Incredible. Yeah, it's a really You've got a company team. in the marketing team. <laughs> <laughs> It's it, yeah, it, it's really it's it's truly a privilege to be part of part of this team, and we've always done two things. We we always have a saying which is we invest wisely, right? And in which case we we treat you know the company's dollars just like we would in our, our personal lives, and from that standpoint, we want to know how much we need, what are we investing it in, what do we think it's going to return, and how are we going to measure that? And if you create that mindset within your own department. If you then make sure you have ways of tracking that through dashboards and reports and message that back up to the organization, whether it's the executive team, whether it's the board of directors, whether it's other parts of the organization, I spend a lot of time um, in my role 
going to different parts of the company and just giving them updates on how marketing is doing. Because, you know, unfortunately, there's so much information in all of our lives, personal and professional these days, and you want to keep top of mind, even with colleagues, right, outside of marketing and how you're doing. And then I always make sure we celebrate how things are going. And by the way, not everything works, right? And and it's very important sometimes to also admit when things work, because the worst thing you want to do is sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen, because not everything works. And you know, sometimes you have an opportunity to take multiple bets. And if one or two doesn't work, it's okay. And in other cases, if, if it doesn't work, that's an, that's a challenge. And that, you know, those things happen. It just puts more emphasis on making sure you, you take a calculated investment. But, but yeah, it's a long answer to your question, which is one, understanding how much you need, because you never want to go and ask for money and then realize you didn't ask for enough. Two, from right away, have a case in an ROI message on how much value that's going to drive and how you're going to showcase that value. So what the organization cares about. Three, make sure you track and have a way of measuring how things are going. And then make sure you celebrate that and communicate those throughout the um, the organization. So yeah, I don't, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, you, you put, I mean, you work in this stuff day in and day out, right? Yeah. You help put our system in place. Um, what do you see around this as well? Yeah, no, I, I love that list you have. It, it, it simplifies it so much. And I think there's some kind of mental hurdle we have in marketing where we think what you just described, I mean, there is work, right? There is work involved. You do need to get systems. You do need to implement them and actually use them, but it's, it's so important. And I think what I see a lot from my end is a lot of distraction, right? Something about marketing. We're like cats with lasers or, you know, catnip and we're just like, and or both. And we're just running around and, and we're having a great time, but be, we kind of, we do these sort of fun texts that maybe aren't answering that question of how much and what's the ROI. We don't answer that. We don't get the systems in place. We don't do the $20, $100 exchange. We kind of like, well, we spent that 20. I spent your 20, Casey, on this other thing. And it's really neat. And you're like, oh, okay, but do I get my $20 back? Or like, what do right. I, it's, it's unclear what I get back from. So I, I just see a lot of distraction from people. How do you, how do you keep from getting distracted? Is that question first and foremost? It sounds like you're almost like an investment firm. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, And part of it is you you also have to get good at saying no. Um, And I would say one of the things that that we've done a nice job of at Encino as a marketing department is I remember early on when Encino first got started. So I've been in situations where we've had very little money, right, to invest in marketing. And, you know, I, I had to think to myself, okay, with this very small budget in a company that nobody had ever heard of, right, that's just getting started, what is most important? And things obviously such as your website, right? And we invested in um, PR. And, and so we, we made some very calculated, very narrow focused decisions. And I also, I remember a lot of employees and people coming to me and saying, hey, we want to get a booth at a conference, or we need a bunch of swag to, to use here or there. And I said no. And Mm. I remember at the time, you know, nobody was thrilled to hear that because, (laughs) you know, everyone has different ideas, right? And every business and industry and target market's different. But in my mind, those things would not have been great investments compared to what I I thought were good investments from a website and PR perspective to get us started. And so I said no. And, And ironically, what's happened over time is I've kind of developed a little bit, I don't want to say necessarily a reputation, but people generally know that I am you know, it's hard to get things by me in terms of how we spend marketing dollars, especially ideas outside the marketing department, which, you know, is great. You always want to welcome ideas and some are good and maybe some don't always make sense. 
But the nice thing is because I kind of have this mentality, people are always saying you should spend more or, or are you investing enough? Because I've developed, we've developed an image that is we invest very wisely and we show people how we do that. And what happens is, especially when you see the success and impact of that is people think it's valuable and the opposite of our scenario, the myth we busted, which is when you bust that myth and you see all this is you want to see more investment in marketing. That's a wonderful place to be. I love the internal brand you've created. Like all these conversations, we talk about all these different factors, but you've created a reputation. Hey, hey, we're marketing, right? So creating that image internally though, and being mindful that that matters too. And you've created this image that uh, image, but also because it's true is that we're not careless with money. And I think that's the opposite. We were just talking about when you get distracted. Yeah, you're, you're, you're being careless, but you're also creating an image internally that you guys are a cost center. You guys are just spending money and you're like the make it pretty people. And it's like, no. Right. And so it sounds like some calculated no's got you that reputation. And not that you're a no man, because clearly this company's gone to stratospheric proportions, but you you were wise about it. And I, I think a lot of us could could be served well by trying to create that image internally by being much more pointed in terms of what we do. Yeah, I think that's that's right, Casey. And I think the other thing too that's that's important as we kind of think about myths. And and you actually, I would almost take what you just said and, and take that the hammer again. Yep, which yep, is, you got it, it's still yours. <laughs> you know that that sometimes organizations look at marketing as just to make things pretty, yeah. right? And I think that's another responsibility. It's kind of tied to this idea of of showing the value of what marketing represents is that marketing should be a strategic part of the organization. It is not just a make things pretty. And, and again, that that's easy for me to say, right? It, it depends on obviously the leadership you work with, um, you know, your background, the size of the organization, all those variables. So it's, it's, these things are always easier said than done. But, but to me, part of what's tied to that really proving out the ROI and the value of marketing is also illustrating that marketing is a lot more than just make us look pretty. It is a strategic part of the organization. And I think one way to kind of think about that, or at least I message that is, you know, if you think about different companies, right, oftentimes you're broken into sales and, um, you know, you may, if you have a product or a service function, right. And each of those areas are focused on what they think they need to do, which is either sell, sell more customers, right. Sell more product mm -hmm. or sell more services or deliver those services. Right. And all those people have that very specific mindset. What makes marketing to me unique is you sort of represent all of those stakeholders, not only within the company, but outside the company as well. And so that gives you a very broad view on what often is best for the company versus just one of those groups. And I always like to say, at Encino, that marketing is Switzerland, right? We're, we're neutral in all of the different stakeholders. I mean, obviously customers are critically important as our partners, employees, but we are able to look at all the different motivations of each and also have an opinion and input and point of view on what we think is best for the organization and all the stakeholders. It's, it's such a, a, it's cool, right? Like it's probably why we love marketing and we kind of gravitate toward it is that, is that broad view. We get to dance in all the different, I mean, we're all the different clubs or all the different play, whatever the metaphor is, we get to go across all the things. And I think other than finance, who tends to pay everyone or whatnot, or is thinking about it holistically as well, no one else is really thinking about it. They're all very much, yeah, not that they don't think about other departments, but they're usually pretty focused. They're usually compensated very narrowly on what they need to do. And that might be okay, but, but the idea of having some group that looks at the overall process, so it's not some disjointed thing, it just, it's just, it's magic. Yep, agreed. How, what's your approach 
because yeah, I know we kind of talked about the internal brand of marketing and making sure that people understand, hey, we're serious about investing everything, holding ourselves accountable. A brand itself, how do you approach brand? I mean, we do make things pretty, but we we also are an investment in, in, in growth. of the. So how do you rationalize brand? How do you approach brand? Yeah, another great question, Casey. And this would probably be, I think we're on, you know, maybe the second myth here. I think that first one being that that simple simplified marketing formula for success. Yeah. Right. And then also I, I give us a 0.5 myth there for that marketing um, should be a strategic, should be looked at strategically right, within the organization, just not a, a make it pretty. And I think that maybe that next myth that we can can bust, and maybe it's a, a self-created myth a little bit on my part, but is that marketing owns the brand. Okay. You know, I, I, I like to say that marketing is the steward of the brand, but that, you know, your brand is ultimately owned by your company, all the employees, your customers, your partners, your community. And so when you think about, or when I think about, or Encino thinks about our brand in that way, what you realize is, you know, you need to make sure all those different um, stakeholders, if you will, understand what your brand means. What does it stand for? And you also need to understand the flip side is correct as well, that all those different groups can help shape your brand, you know, day by day, year by year, over time, good and bad. And so I think, you know, for us at Encino, and some of this, you know, you hear it all the time. And, you know, I don't, again, it, these things, whether it's mission statements, vision statements, right, they, they all have value, but they yeah. only have value if they're authentic, true, and you build meaning behind them. And so, you know, again, if I go back to the very early days of Encino, so as I mentioned, when I got to Encino, there was, there was 10 of us, right? And we're, we're now over a thousand. You were, you were it for marketing, right? Like you're yeah, a guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I walked in and, and our incredible CEO is one of the founders, Pierre Nade, basically pointed to the, we were all sat around a table, pointed to an empty chair at the table and said, we don't have anyone doing marketing and we need it. So go do marketing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that was kind of how I got started. And yes, and, you know, fr- from there. So one of the first things I did as, as we thought about our brand is, you know, I and I think a lot of us at Encino, our, our goal was really to, with the software we were building, to really have a, a meaningful impact on the banking and financial services industry uh, from a technology and digital perspective. And in my mind, the fact that we're based in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is a, a wonderful place to live, you know, our target market is all over the country, all over the U.S. Um, now it's you know well beyond that in Europe and Australia and Japan. Yeah. But at the time, it was very much sort of community banks throughout the U.S. And to me, I wanted us to portray an image of a much, much larger organization than we were. And so um, one of the first things I did after we kind of created the, the name of the company and the, the logo is I put a sign up on the wall that said, everything we do represents a billion dollar brand. And the reason I did that is because I wanted us, not only from a marketing perspective, but as a company perspective, even though there was 12 of us, and you know, if you visit us, in Wilmington, North Carolina at that time, sitting around a table right, in a corner of an existing office building, you would have been thought to yourself, this, this isn't a billion dollar brand. This is, was it even a nice table yeah. or was it like, no, it was literally a table. It was a table. Yeah. It was a table. You probably buy at target or, yeah. or somewhere <laughs> with four legs and it's just big enough to fit 10 people around. Um, yeah. That hundred dollars that we made earlier, um, that would have gone a long way. Uh, yeah. for us back then. <laughs> New table. <laughs> um, but I created that sign and I, I put like it on it. the wall because I wanted us everyone to be thinking about this company and the image we're portrayed as a much larger organization, much larger brand. And so whether it was the website we created, whether it was, you know, when we walked into client meetings, um, 
whether it's all the emails we sent, right? Like every interaction, no matter whether you're in marketing or not, to me, if you have that mindset of what you want to be, it doesn't mean you have to be a billion dollar brand. It could, you want to be, you know, the best service provider in your community, whatever it is, have in your mind a bit of a representation of what you want the brand to be. And then mm -hmm. what will happen is people's actions and behaviors will start following that, right? And if you have that in line with the mission and vision of what you want to be as an organization, no matter how big or small you may be, you start building what your brand means and you start educating your customers and your partners. And if, if what you're saying you're doing and what you're saying you are equals what you actually deliver from a product and service perspective, then it starts building momentum. Wow. And, and to me, that's where you get to the fact that, again, marketing can help define the brand, and be, but you ultimately don't own the brand. You become the stewards of the brand. And if you do it right, it just everyone else becomes brand cheerleaders for you to help define it. And, and again, um, I mean, Encino has been an incredible story, but the thing I'm incredibly proud of now is, you know, it was amazing to me when we went to, to Europe um, about two, about three years ago, you know, we, we opened an office in London and you think, hey, you know, we have, at the time, I don't remember exactly how many customers we had, but, you know, we had a, a number of banks in the US and, and to think to yourself, okay, we're going to London, to Europe. Nobody's probably heard of Encino, but what was amazing to me is um, when we got there and started talking to some banks, they had heard of us. Now they didn't, not everyone had heard of us. They maybe didn't have a lot of information on us, but the fact that we had built a bit of a reputation already, it, it's amazing how in this day and age, information travels, good and bad. Yeah, yeah, good and bad, yeah. Yeah, it's a really, it's a, I love, it's a fresh take on, on, on brand. And it, I mean, we've said do own the investment of the dollars in, dollars out, the ROI, know what you can't own right it's like almost like those the ancient prayers know what you can control what you can't control it know what what you can't control those money things coming in you're you need to make sure you're responsible for that but when it comes to the brand i like how you're calling it a steward um it's like i don't know not hurting cats but it's something like all these different pieces are all moving independently you can't control them all yep. but you can influence them yep. again back to marketing we're marketing internally as well as externally and and i love that you're sort of pointing the baseball bat into the to the stadium saying this is where we're going billion dollars yep. Yep. you know uh, we'll all have our own tables one day <laughs> right now yeah. we're sharing and, and by the way our you know since as we've grown you know we we move that that goalpost you know so that that billion dollars became a 10 billion dollar brand wow because you, know? you want to keep again you want to whenever you start getting close to it and, and we have a ways to go is you, you move it out, right? Because you want yeah. us thinking even bigger now. I mean, right. back then we were thinking, let's, let's have a huge impact in the U S but now we're thinking, let's continue to have that global um, presence, which, which is exciting. God, man, that is exciting. You keep moving that, moving that target and yep. places and places and places. A steward of the brand doesn't own it. What does it stand for, man? And then aligning it with the mission and the values what just real quick, kind of want to bring it to earth just for a moment. What are some of the practical ways that you can steward a brand? Great question. So to me, first is defining what your brand, what you want it to represent, right? Okay. So I, I came back to the the mission and vision, right? And you hear those things a lot. And again, I think it's those things are only as valuable as the time you put into them and if you truly believe in them and follow them. And so for Encino. Um, from day one, our, our vision has always been to be the worldwide leader in cloud banking. So we were, you know, one of the pioneers 
in cloud banking software. Um, and so that has always been top of mind in terms of what, again, this idea of building a bigger brand and looking bigger than we were as we grew. And then second, secondly, our mission has always been to transform financial services through innovation, reputation, and speed. And we've always anchored a lot in those things. And so, again, I think to go back to some of those practical things, have a mission and vision, and don't just make it a document that you write it down and you stick it in the corner, mm -hmm. um, put thought into it, have meaning in it, and then also turn it into your marketing activities, right? Talk about how you innovate as a company in your sector. So for, for Encino, like we, we truly innovate in the technology and financial services right. and challenge ourselves each and every year to do that, right? So we focus on innovation, reputation. You know, we very much focus on, we want our clients to respect us, right? You know, it's, it's the old adage, which is, you know, sales, you never want to go in and just necessarily be friends with somebody, right? You, yes, you want <laughs> yeah. to develop a great relationship. The but friend you want zone. <laughs> right. You want them to respect you because sometimes right. I think good respectful relationships is sometimes you challenge things. And for us, it's to go into a bank. And if a bank can operate more effectively or efficiently, work with them to try and help them figure that out. And, and sometimes that means having difficult conversations. Um, but if it's the right thing for the bank, and we think, in, and they also agree it's gonna make them better and help them serve their customers, those are good conversations. And so you wanna have that reputation and that speed as well. I mean, this pace at which things move nowadays. So I, I'm sort of defining a little bit our mission, but my point with that is you hear me talking about it. Everyone at the company where I work at Encino can also talk about that. Wow. And when we talk about our clients, right? And so, so then again, it becomes part of your, your basic premise and the ethos of your company. And then the, 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 the other thing I would add too, and this maybe ties into, if, you know, we're going to have time for a third myth. And that's the importance of cultural branding. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot, of, a lot of marketers, we focus very much just on the company and the product and the, or the service brand. And we don't focus on the culture brand. And I think that culture brand is becoming more and more important. And so, again, I'm, I'm probably spending a little too long answering what was a really good question. But to me, first, mm. spend time in that mission and vision, define it, make sure it has meaning, and then actually use it to incorporate into your marketing and your brand building. Um, make sure it reflects on your website, all of those different places, right? It's almost like you're, you're just reinforcing. You know, there's that thing in marketing or that adage, which is tell, tell somebody something, tell them again, then tell them again we'll tell them five more times, right? And do it over year after year, month after month, day after day. And so it's just that repetition. I, we have a saying at Encino in our marketing department, which is steady drumbeat, right? I wanna have the steady Encino, 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 steady drumbeat of marketing activity and consistent messaging. Um, so I think that's too. And then that, that additional point is that cultural brand. I think more and more, there's a marketing opportunity, um, again, as we think about takeaways for the audience from this, to really brand, or to, to, let me rephrase that, to include in your brand, your culture, um, as long as assuming it's something you're proud of and, and, and think has you know, value. Um, if it's not something, then that's a different conversation, probably a different, different podcast, but I do think there's a lot of opportunity for a cultural brand in this as well. Yeah, no, I wanna dive into the culture just Real quick, one um, thing that was popping out to me from what you're saying around, around just branding itself is that is that you're de you're defining it and the value you get from it is in direct proportion to how much time you spend thinking about it, developing it, communicating it, and, and that's that's huge. Just a very simple concept, but if you don't spend any time on it, then yes, you're right. It's not going to really do anything for you. It's going to be weak and it's going to fall flat. But if you've really considered it, 
it's smart. It addresses the mission, addresses all these things. It can be really powerful. It can be a powerful drumbeat. And I love that phrase too. I kind of want to be like a fly on the wall in this office and see like all these cool, you know, concepts and strategies and slogans um, on the walls, that internal branding, but also the, the take action part. It really stuck out to me that you know, a lot of times people come up and they'll ask, hey, should I do this tool or should I do this strategy or this approach? And ideally, I, I love to point them back to their own brand. And I would say, well, mm-hmm. well what does your brand say? Are you this aggressive? Are you going to cold call your competitors, customers or not? Your brand should ideally give you a very clear picture, suggestion of like, yeah, we're aggressive. We're going after it. Or, no, we're we're this approach, you know? Ideally, that answers something. So it's not just, you know, it's not just a slogan on a wall, but it actually, it, you can take action off of, and you even said that, take action off of what you've written. Um, it should be able to guide you in the right direction. Spot on. Yep. Yeah. Tell, tell me about this cultural side, though, because this is interesting. Again, it's the external and the internal, the marketing side. What what role do we play and, do, and how much do we own it? We're, we're shepherds of the brand. We own that return on investment for the spend. What, what is our part that we play on the cultural side? Yeah, I think this would probably be the, the third myth. And this is an interesting, interesting one. This is one I think, you know, again, we, we probably won't have enough time to explore, but I think is, is an area that I, I would like to see more marketing organizations have a both take ownership of in terms of putting out what their cultural brand is, but secondly, having either more involvement or more ownership in the recruiting and culture process within companies. Because um, traditionally, you know, recruiting, uh, that, that process, the hiring process is traditionally in HR. And, and again, that's not to say that's not the wrong place. Every HR department's different. There's phenomenal HR um, professionals out there. But for us, we, we really want HR to be able to be freed and focused on our, our employees, right? In terms of making sure they have great benefits, right? Making sure we, we get paid every month and have the right systems. And most importantly, making sure they're there to support employees um, through a lot of things. Obviously with the pandemic, I mean, HR oh, yeah. has, has never been more important, right? And, and that's really critical, but at the same time, recruiting and hiring and culture should, is actually a sales and marketing activity. And so at Encino, our recruiting organization is actually part of marketing, which is wow. very unusual. Um, but I think it's, it's worked incredibly well. And I truly think it's something that I, I again, hope over time to share more and more about, because I, I think it is a shift um, in how organizations think and what, is, what can be more successful. And I say that for a few reasons. One, if you think about recruiting, right? Every organization, every industry is, is in a, you know, trying to get great talent is hard, right? I'm sure, you know, you talk to tons of folks. I mean, you've got a great organization. Finding great people is hard and oh, oftentimes yeah. great people have lots of, of options and retaining great people can be a challenge. Yeah. And so to do that, you want to create, what is your cultural brand? What does your company represent from a cultural perspective? And, you know, if you go to the Encino website, we actually have a section of our website that's called culture and it's about our company. Because if you're going to make a decision to work for a company that, I mean, in many ways, that's the equivalent of almost, you know, getting married, right? That's a big, big decision. Right. And do you want to go through that experience without having had three or four dates, right? Of of seeing that person after a long drive or a flat tire, you know, all those situations. And so for us, we feel very strongly in our culture. I think, you know, we have a, 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 phenomenal culture. And so we want to share that culture. We want to tell that authentic story and let our employees do it for us. 
Um, because the thing I think a lot of marketers maybe are starting to appreciate is that if you don't grab your cultural brand, start telling the story about it, it's already happening. You know, there's places like Comparably and Glassdoor where yeah. good and bad things are getting out there. And if you totally. don't get some control of that or help define what your culture means, it's being defined for you, um, yeah. which is not always a good thing. So, um, and again, as you think about recruiting, you know, every experience a candidate has with your organization, whether you hire them or not, is again, back to that brand building. And so we have, uh, and Sino, you know, we just really call it that, you know, that special glove service. Every candidate, every interaction, every conversation is really important. And one of the things I'm very proud of is, you know, on our Glassdoor profile, you know, we have phenomenal reviews, which, which I'm very proud of. But one of the things I'm most proud of is we actually have reviews from candidates who we have not hired. So imagine having a candidate who's gone through the interview process, was not hired for whatever the reason may be, but left a great review on their experience. They may recommend a friend, they may apply again in a year or two if there is more experience in it, whatever it may be, but that, that helps continue lifting up our brand. And so it's a long way of saying that I think as a marketer, grabbing that cultural brand is a tremendous opportunity in terms of defining it, sharing your authentic culture, um, and then secondly, you know, making sure you have a very tight relationship with HR and even challenging your organization to say, why aren't some of these functions maybe a part of marketing? Because again, to elevate marketing to more strategic thing. And, and maybe the last thing, and, and I'll pause um, to get your thoughts is, you know, how to turn this into action. And, and one of the things I always li like to talk about, we talked a little bit about this during the prep session is, you know, I asked you if you had any portraits of your kids right at home. You may have them right in front of you on, on your desk. I and do. yeah. When, when you bought that frame, it came with that generic picture of, of the perfect family right, right in it. And that frame that's now in front of you on your desk there on the wall, it doesn't have that generic family picture. It has your picture on it. And I use that example because I'm always astounded that, you know, and again, there are always situations sometimes where stock images or stock footage is, is needed. But if you've got your website and it's full of stock images that you went out and bought, what does that tell your employees? To me, that's the equivalent of buying that framed generic photo and putting it up. And it doesn't represent your family. I mean, how would your family feel every time they walk by your desk or your office and they saw a picture of some generic family? And so to me, those are little simple things that go a long way. And again, it may mean the pictures aren't perfect or as well um, sort of uh, uh, sketched out, whatever it may be. But, it, but it's your company and it's your people and it'll make them feel prouder and also give people a more of a window into what your company is about. Because even today, customers, I think, are also making decisions to, to do business with your, your organization based on your culture and your people, not just your product or service. Yeah, man, it's so true. I don't see a single um, clip art, you know, that sort of fake stuff. It doesn't convert well. We know that statistically and we just know from... Like you said, the desk. Why? Why do we do? Why do we do that? Is just is it? E yeah. It's easier, right? It's easier. Yep. It's easier, and it also maybe we think it looks better than ourselves. But people, even with podcasts, right? We could have some highly edited. This whole conversation could have been four minutes on CNN. Hey, CNN has its place, but but people right. love to learn about what's behind that. What's behind that four minutes? You know, tell me more about you and and just when you're listening to you they get a sense of who the culture is they want to understand the people and, and meet people and yeah i'm looking at the site culture is literally in your top nav mm -hmm. that's not yep. something that would happen if marketing didn't own 
yep. you know, recruiting may, may not happen if it's not their, you know, priority or it may not be as sexy, may not be as out there. And I see you have, you know, you have your core values. It looks like on here too. do the right thing, bring your a game, be a winner, have fun. We share that some of those uh, same culture values. So, and it's there, it's just right out in front. Boom. Yep. Here it is. There's a video and there's a video with clips of four, four three or four or five real people. They're all smiling. Hey, and it's, it's so real, right? It's like the age yep. of authenticity versus, you know, companies that are, yeah, I, I hear a lot about that too. A lot of companies are, are you know, the bigger ones are using more and more realistic photos. And some of the smaller companies though, they keep using these sort of bigger clip arts. It, did you, yeah, it seems like a disconnect because you've talked about like you put pointed the bat and said, we're going to this billion. Let's act like it. But it, it didn't mean, hey, let's act like it and put fake billion photos on there. Yeah, I, I mean, I, to be fair, when we first started, you know, we we didn't, we probably had a few. I'm trying to think back oh, a few stock I'm not gonna, images yeah, in the early like days, but but yeah, I I'm with you. Like I, I think you you mentioned authenticity, and if we're gonna throw in a fourth myth here, right? The, the yeah. third being kind of like you know own that cultural brand and, and recruiting all of those things should be a marketing top of mind, either activity or part of the organization. To me, that fourth one is authenticity. I, th I think people can see more and more people either have the instincts now or can kind of see through this after years of being bombarded with trying to sell you something that's not real or as disappointing as, as you just you break people's trust. You know, whether you're a good organization or not, people are skeptical and you have trust issues. And so when you find an organization that's authentic and are who they are. And again, we're not perfect. I mean, we, we've right. made mistakes oh, totally. and, and you own them, right? Yeah. Um, whatever it may be over the years, but if more often than not you have good, and that's, you mentioned our core values, we have a core value, which is do the right thing. If yeah. at the end of the day, all our intentions are right and we can be authentic in who we are, I a hundred percent believe that has been a differentiator for us. Man. And it becomes part of your marketing. Yeah. 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 It, and when you even think about the recruiting, this is all kind of connected. The, the recruiting side is very much you're attracting. That, that's, that's what marketing does all day. So it, it's such a mistake in my mind, hearing you talk about these things to, to not have marketing, at least collaborate on that stuff, if not own it, because we're, we're gathering leads and accounts for sales all day long. Why can't we do the same thing for, for the team and for the, the managers and, and help on the recruiting side? And I, and I love that you're not just we're not just taking that away from HR and saying, no, you go in this box. We want them to focus yep. internally with the things that no other department can even come close to touching benefits and healthcare and, and you know, all the support services to really enrich the team. Yep. No, that's exactly right. Man, man, a lot's going right. What keeps you up at night? What, what, are there some challenges? Yeah. You've really got this thing figured out. Well, like yeah. A master I mean, class. <laughs> it, it, it sounds that way. Um, but like all of us, yeah, it's, it's, how do you, how do you keep your mind? Probably. Yeah. My biggest challenge is how do you stop your mind from, from sure. running? Right. I think for, for the things that probably keep me up at night are, are how do you um, particularly for organizations, marketing organizations that are growing, how do you balance um, being in multiple countries um, in multiple segments within countries and selling multiple products? And so, you know, for example, um, we recently, kind of established a, an office and a, a presence in Germany. And again, you're, you're talking a very different language now and a very different culture, obviously, than, than even the UK, let alone the US. And so right. you, you kind of, for me, I've kind of got to think, um, 
in different stages. So Encino in the US is a very well-known brand, right? And so it's how do you maintain that market leadership position in the US? Whereas in Germany, we're very, we're, we're relatively new. Now we have a, obviously a, a nice story to tell as a global company, but we're still relatively new and if you will, somewhat unproven in that market. And so it's a slightly different mindset in some of the products that we sell in the US from a technology perspective all of them aren't yet ready for the German market. So we have some, you know, some of our products, you, you have a smaller sort of portfolio, if you will, for that market. Gotcha. And so it's, how do you kind of, it's almost like driving five cars at once, you know, all at different speeds, right? On different roads and different conditions and trying to, you know, maintain that while at the same time having a global brand, um, you know, that you're, you, you want in global messaging you want to put out. So I think, again, it's, you know, challenges are opportunities in disguise, right? And totally. so, you know, and, and like everyone, I, you know, it's a great book um, by Andy Grove, who's one of the, I think, founders, CEOs of Intel. It's called Only the Paranoid Survive. Um, and I'm also, that's my personality. I, all the things I told you that, you know, I'm sure if you listen, you're like, wow, they, they, they know what they're doing. And, and I, I like to think we do, you know, we have a, a great team and a great company, but do I still worry every day about making sure I showcase the value of marketing to our executive team, to the company, um, to our board of directors? So we're 1,200 people, and I still personally am involved in every employee onboarding and have a session around marketing because that's a chance for me to continue educating new employees on the importance of marketing. So uh, my point is that, yeah, I, what keeps me up is a lot of these, these new growth opportunities and having sort of different markets that we're entering in different products. But at the same time, I also worry about all those fundamental things, because I think anytime you stop worrying about them, that's when you, you lose, you know, you lose your eye on off the ball. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Fundamentals. And at the same time, I see, I can see the complexity getting, you know, <laughs> cause it, to your point, on one hand, you've got the global brand, but on the other hand, the, the brand is at different stages of maturity across different segments but also segments now in different countries yep. different language and you know products are all different there's a like it's almost like one of those charts where you just see it like exponentially grow more complicated yep. as you go i mean the rewards are there but at the same time it's like wow now how do you do you how do you how do you approach solving that is it is it more people is it different teams structure do you get agile what do you yeah. do? How do you approach that? It, it's kind of all of the above, right? Yeah. It's, um, you know, it is, you know, you know, it's, it's a combination one. It's, it's accepting that, you know, there's going to be people who know things like, you know, if you ask me, what is a great approach to the German market? I mean, again, I'll have some <laughs> fundamentals from a marketing perspective, but I don't know the banking industry in Germany particularly well yet. And so you, right. you, you have to, I think good marketers are able to, ask questions, listen, right? And not only research, read, but talk to bankers in that market, you know, for us, talk to maybe a salesperson or whoever we maybe have already hired in that market and pick their brain. And then from that you determine, okay, so for example, you know, we're gonna probably work with um, a local agency in Germany, right? right. Because it, it's, it's a quicker way for us to kind of get established with an organization that focuses right on that market and understands it. Now, over time, we will probably add a marketing person or two behind that. Um, but that to, to me is, is sort of the better, I don't wanna call it safer because it, it can be maybe upfront a little more expensive, but is for us the smarter way to kind of enter the market and get settled in the market. 
Um, so again, long answer to your question is, I think, you know, marketers need to be curious, need to ask questions, need to listen, um, and often, again, be creative and thoughtful on how they kind of go about this, because there isn't one secret answer. You know, in the US, we primarily built a team, right, a marketing mm -hmm. team. Um, we did it with a lot of junior. That would be the one other thing I'd mention here quickly is that don't underestimate the power of hiring young people. Um, you know, because I think having a great healthy mix of experience with sort of very young, fresh minds who, who oftentimes with whether it's digital or social media, right, are even more savvy. I think that combination can be incredibly powerful. And I think at Encino, as we've grown again from, you know, when I got there, 10 employees, now over a thousand, you know, seeing people grow with the organization um, is, is incredible. And so I think that, that would be the other thing I'd mention too is, you know, and don't just hire people who have marketing skills. You know, I, I, I like to joke that if I applied, if I had applied for my job based on my academic background for a professional marketing job, <laughs> when I came to Encino, if, if, if Pierre had looked at it that way, he probably wouldn't have hired me. Right. And, you know, the fact that we, we have a saying at Encino, which is we hire for attitude and we train for skills. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a lot of people on our now 80 plus marketing team. Some people have a technology background, some have a marketing background, some have um, a background in English literature, right? Some have background in history. And so you have this very diverse, not only backgrounds and genders um, and races, but experience as well and different stages of careers. And I think you put that together and that, that's really where to me power comes from. So don't, don't get hung up on just having to constantly hire you know, somebody who just has a specific marketing background. Yeah, that attitude, hire for attitude, right? There's some, you get the right attitude, you can, you can learn anything you can take you can take on all kind of projects and your approach is just reminds me of a, a dan sullivan quote which is you know who not how you know when you're trying to rack your brain and figure out how to do x maybe it's who who should be doing x in agency eventually you know new team member whoever might be consultant whatever the case is like the idea of like let's get smart people and to your point the background it, it's background is helpful Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But I love that that approach of just getting people from all different places and shapes and sizes. Yeah. So now that we know what keeps you up at night, I like to let, let's what gets you up in the morning. What what's exciting you about the future? What what's coming around the corner? You've got your eyes across the globe. Are there are there strategies or technologies in, in the in this in this world that we live in? What what's got you excited about the changes lately? Oh boy, that's um, yeah, another great question. And, and uh, hopefully it comes across because I try to, sometimes I, I don't want to get too excited because um, yeah, right. I think you're, you're very good at always managing the, the excitement with having um, very important points. Sometimes I can get overly passionate and just start rambling, but- That works um, too, man. You got the hammer, just swing it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, what, what gets me excited, I mean, is just continuing to grow a company. Um, yeah. You know, we, we use the example of Germany. I'll even give an example of Japan. I mean, you know, a, a little over a year ago, we, we opened an office in Tokyo. And when we launched our version of our Japanese website in Japanese, which to this day, if you ask me what, what, what it says, I don't know. Right. But just that moment in time to think, wow, you know, we, our company has a website in Japanese. Um, and that simple thing, that, that, that is one of the things that gets me going is, is these new challenges and opportunities to tackle. Also, secondly, the sort of, again, uh, um, that paranoia, if you will, to how do you maintain, you know, what you've created? 
Um, and then thirdly, the people. Um, at the yeah. end of the day, you know, no matter how digital, and I think in spite of the pandemic, and, and hopefully we're we're getting through it here, all of us. But you know, the people that you surround yourself with and have the pleasure of working with, to me, still will always be one of the primary drivers. And um, at the end of the day, working with the people I work with launches me out of bed every morning. Yeah. No, I love that. I, what I'm picking up from you is is that you you are taking the time in between moments of paranoia to make sure that you're appreciating the wins the team has, you know, the, the hundred dollar back from the 20 and then also the people you're working with. And I think that, I mean, that's the recipe for just loving the hell of what you do. You know, that's just yep. powerful. Man. Absolutely. Mike, next question for you is like, who are you? How, <laughs> how you're the, you're the head of a, a large marketing organization at a, a, a fastly growing company with no end in sight. Did you always know you're going to be this way? Take me back to like little Jonathan days. Did you know you're going to be a marketing leader? Um, what was it like growing up? You where'd you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in Connecticut. Um, so uh, not too far, not too far from you, Casey. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think you know, look, I, it wasn't a sort of. I was one of those people. There's some people know my sister was going to be an artist from the day she was born. Wow. Um, and she's always been an artist. And I was one of those who kind of took a meandering path. Um, and, you know, I think of, of different influences. So I grew up, my dad was a graphic designer and worked, you know, in New York city. Oh, wow. um, so I think growing up, I was, I was surrounded by a lot of creativity and art. Um, and I think that that has served me very well. Um, I think, you know, when you're in marketing, you know, we talked about numbers and ROI and, and we kind of joked about everyone thinking marketing is just make it pretty, but marketing needs to be both, right? Marketing yeah. needs to be a data-driven organization, very target market, all of those different things. But then it has to put out really good materials because yeah. if you're very good, if you define your target market really well, but you put out crap, you know, that's not going to work. Whereas if you create yeah. something beautiful, but you send it to the wrong people are seeing it, like that's also not going to work. So you, you've got to do both. And so I think for me, um, you know, it's just growing up in that environment. I remember my parents dragging me to, um, you know, museums in New York City when I was nice. five, six years old. And, you know, the last place you want to be is in a museum on a, on a Saturday. Um, <laughs> but, you know, much, much later in life, I've, I've grown to appreciate the influence that's had, because I think for me individually, as, as a CMO, I think it's allowed me to, you know, have good input. So it's allowed me to when we do videos or design work to be able to jump in with, with that team, right. And really get dirty, but at the same time, pull out, right. And be able to jump into some of the analytics stuff. Cause then I had a, an academic background, right. Which right. gets very research and analytic driven. And so I think for me, um, and that's also, as you're growing a marketing organization, you know, having people who are very good in different areas and then also understanding the people who, you know, may not be as deep in some areas, but have more of a broader, again, that, that combination for me, yeah, growing up in a very creative, creative, artistic environment, I think played, played an important role. That I didn't realize till a little later Su in life. Such a, a powerful, like very understated um, benefit. And, and I think as much as we joke, right. About being things pretty, it's not easy to make things look good. Right there, and and it sounds like you you can you can see it. Maybe we're not drawing it like your sister or your dad or you're right. the people that are on our teams. But man, I when I see really good design, I appreciate the hell out of it because I know I could never do that in a million years. But but I know it makes us look so good that it's back to that. Hey, billion dollar, this is where we're going, and let's let's make sure we look like it too. Yep. So I, I could totally see you picking that up early on of like this is what good design looks like. 
Absolutely. hundred percent. So then you go to school and you're like, let's do marketing. Did you, did you know what marketing was? Did you, how'd you pick that international marketing too? Right. Yeah. So I did. Yeah. Undergrad. I mean, and I, I was maybe still finding myself at undergrad. So I think totally. I, I, I picked marketing. Um, because it was the it, easiest or <laughs> well i think I, yeah it's funny I, I think i gravitated a little it was probably around my junior year when i started to get you know my head on a little straighter um in terms of focus and and just drive and you know i gravitated towards business and i think yeah i found marketing I, I, if you will kind of had a little bit of the creativity within business right, right. um you know folks who sometimes go to accounting just the, the numbers right the analytics yeah, really God bless them, but no thanks. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, you get through the accounting classes because those are, are very important. But um, yeah, so I was drawn to marketing and then spent a couple of years at IBM after after doing my undergrad, um, which was a great place to start my career. Wow. I, I realized I was not going to be I was not necessarily a corporate type, um, but learned a ton a very short period of time and then went to, to Babson College. Um, familiar with Babson in the yeah. Boston area. Yeah. Uh, Good which entrepreneurial was, school. Yeah, which was also a life-changing experience because, you know, I walked in as somebody who, um, you know, it's a very international school. And when I sat down with my MBA class and you sort of introduced everyone in the class, you know, I heard pe people from, you know, South America and Europe with all yeah. this experience. And I'm thinking to myself, I worked at IBM for a couple of years. I I'm in way over my head at such a good school. A funny story is on my application, you have to, you know, you write essays, um, or I did at the time, I actually drew a cartoon instead of writing an essay, because I just felt if this is going to be my school, they will appreciate that. And that's, right. that's me. Um, and somehow it may be that helped or it worked, but I, I then, you know, Babson was a very transformative experience. And then just kind of fast forward a little bit after Babson, I got an incredible opportunity to, um, to teach at a university in South Africa, um, for wow. a semester. Uh, to teach small business. And I remember that also was a very transforming experience, not only to, to be in a country like South Africa, which is, you know, culturally extremely different. Um, oh, yeah. but what the was that like? Where, where was it at? What part of South I was Africa? the University of Stellenbosch in Cape Town, South Africa. Okay. Wow. What What is South Africa like? What, what was it like teaching there? Uh, Have you was... been there before? Or do you just like no. on a whim, you're like spinning the globe and you're like, put the finger? Yeah, I remember, you know, if you think about for those, you know, I know you've got kids, I've got kids, anyone listening, like, I think about my parents dropped me off at, at Kennedy Airport or JFK in New York City for, you know, a, whatever, 20 hour flight to, to South Africa or to Cape Town via, you know, London Heathrow at the age of 26. Um, I, I had not spent much time outside the country. And so that was just one of those things where if you if I thought a lot, of, to me, it was like, let's just do it. Let's see what's going to happen. Yeah. And it was again one of those very influential things on in my life, not only from a culture perspective, um, but I remember the standing the first day of class. I had, um, and by the way, if we're running out of time, let me no, know. No, no, um, we're good. We got all day. But um, I remember the first day of class. I had, I think, at least three translators next to me because you had, you had Zulu, Afrikaans, a uh, language called, uh, I think it was, it was. Kosa, there was where you click vowels. There's a click in there. Wow. Yeah, and then and then English, right? And so you, so I'm staying there. You know, 26 year old in, in this in a completely different country, about to teach a class about small business. And I remember I started out had never really taught before. I mean, I was just, I mean, so nervous. You know, you got jet lag, you got a lot of stuff going on. And I remember I got through the beginning. I couldn't even tell you how it started. 
And I remember just my style was to ask a question, right? Like, I don't want to be the person who's standing there as a teacher talking for an hour and everyone's just staring at you. I, I like engagement. Right. And, you know, culturally, I'm not sure that was the norm necessarily for teaching there. So I asked a question 10 minutes in and I was already like pouring sweat, nervous translators, <laughs> this class in a different country. And I asked a question, of course, it's crickets, like nobody answers. And so what do you do, right? You've asked the question, you've put yourself out there, nobody's answered, all of these dynamics happening. And so after this like uncomfortable silence, for whatever reason, there's this um, woman looking at me in the front row and she, she smiled. So I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, she, she's gonna help me. And she, but she didn't say anything. And so I, I stepped up to her and I was gonna kind of, I don't wanna say cold call, but kind of put her on the spot because yeah. I was desperate. <laughs> Pass her the and, mic, right? Yeah, yeah and every, everyone had name tags on. And I remember I sort of looked down at her name tag and it was, um, ha had a lot of vowels in the name and it was very mm -hmm. long. And, you know, it was just another moment of like, oh gosh. <laughs> And so I tried to pronounce her name and just, I mean, it was just, it was horrible. And so then, you know, everything turning red, pouring sweat, like yes. just everything. And there was a second or two and then everyone started laughing. Um, and it, it was kind of that moment that kind of broke the ice. It's that moment in time, what I desperately needed. And just then from there, it just kind of, it was an incredible class. And long story short, I got back to the States um, and wanted to become a professor. And so I went to spend some time in New Zealand uh, work on my PhD and then ultimately came back to so to the US and uh, became a director of the Entrepreneurship Center and, and taught as a professor at the University of North Carolina Wilmington before, excuse me before joining Encino. Jeez that class I, I can just picture you in that that place and I don't know if you know you had AC or whatnot but I'm sure you were just sweating it's one of those change your shirt afterward moments where yep. you're just like man especially yep. if you're we did had you just flown in or had you had a couple days or you're still on a different clock? It was, yeah, I actually, I had planned to spend time after the semester traveling around. And so yeah. I only had probably maybe three days. And oh, I mean, gosh. yeah, I, it, it, it was a lot. It, it was a lot. <laughs> and if did people, I guess people wouldn't ask questions then, or if they did, they would go through the translator and then that would get to you. And then. Yeah, and it, it was funny after, I mean, it, in, in being an American there, um, what was also unique. So there was a lot of interest, you know, in, in the U S um, oh, this, sure. this was back in 2003 thereabouts. Um, so there was just a, a lot of, and I developed some great relationships. I mean, some of the experiences there, I mean, obviously sharing the classroom, but oh, even yeah. beyond that, um, some of the experiences I had were just extraordinary. Yeah, it sounds like, and that really just sort of sparked your passion to, to get into being a professor. What was it like doing a PhD in a topic like business with, with things changing constantly? And, you know, I know as soon as like the, the books published or the papers printed, it's like almost instantly out of date unless you're careful about it. How did you approach that? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, for, for research, and again, I think with, with academic research, you're always trying to find that balance between, um, oftentimes, sometimes you see academic research, it doesn't relate, right? It sounds mm -hmm. very academic and not sort of, not applicable in the quote unquote real world. And so- That's definitely the complaint, right? The ivory yeah. tower, they call it. Right, right, right. So I, I, I very much wanted to try and, and do stuff that was was kind of in the middle. And I had some great advisors and we did a lot of research around small businesses um, in New Zealand and related to small business growth in the US. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was very much a sort of entrepreneurial small business focused project. Well, well if you don't mind me asking, what was the thesis or the, what was the? Yeah, it, it was, um, it, it was really to, because New Zealand, again, if anyone gets a chance to travel, they're just an incredible, incredible country with great, great people. and. 
you know, it's, it's a small country um, geographically, it's, it's two islands. And so a lot of their businesses, you know, sometimes struggle to grow um, mm. w- without exporting, right? And so there's, right. there's a lot of relationships either with Australia and, and throughout Asia. And so anytime you're talking about business growth, you're talking about capital, right? And where does that capital come from? And so a lot of my research was, um, was in that area around how to sort of help fund and, and capitalize um, small businesses to help them grow. Interesting, like the fact that they were remote or just small business in general? Yeah, well, particularly in New Zealand. Um, particularly, right. Yeah, because again, it's it's one thing to say, hey, our business is in New Hampshire or North Carolina and we want to grow to Virginia or Maine, right? Because it's just, you just drive across state lines. Whereas in New Zealand, if you want to grow, you oftentimes have to cross over to Australia or cross over to Asia. And those are distances and costs in different countries. And so, you know, that that create some interesting dynamics. Yeah, no, I, I could see the interplay between that just being really interesting to see people in one versus another. And you know, a shout out to New, New Zealand. We have, uh, we have a couple listeners down there, um, Australia as well. So and they'll probably get this a day from now or whenever this goes out, but yeah, shout out to them. Absolutely. And I should, for, for them, I should let them know that I'm a big, uh, I learned to enjoy rugby down there and I'm a big All Blacks fan, which is the New Zealand rugby team. All blacks. I think they're the ones that do the haka, right? They've got it the pretty is. intense. Yeah. yeah, those guys look. I would, I would be like, check please. <laughs> uh, anyone else want to take my spot? These guys look pretty, pretty angry. <laughs> Man, rugby, getting into rugby, and then you came back and you, and, um, and how how did you how did you meet? You know, how did you get connected with Encino? Yeah, interesting story. I, I was so I love teaching. I, I'd been at um, University of North Carolina Wellington for for about six years, um, and I used to, you know, having spent a lot of time getting degrees and teaching. I, I always teaching small business and marketing. You know, just like you know what, what you've done a great job with, with with the podcast is you bring in experts and guest speakers, right? And so yeah. I used to bring a lot of guest speakers into the class, um, and one of the guest speakers ironically was um, one of the founders of Encino. And so when the the idea was just taking shape, um, he actually talked to me after one of the classes and was talking to me about the need for interns, right? Um, And they were gonna hire a CEO, which which became Pierre Nade, who's one of the founders, current CEO, um, and set me up to meet with Pierre, who was gonna be moving from Atlanta to Wilmington, North Carolina, under the premise that I was gonna talk to him about interns, which both of us (laughs) thought we were gonna talk about interns and about five minutes into the breakfast. And for me, this is one of those sort of life-changing moments, you know, Pierre just said to me, what, what would it take for you to join Encino? And, you know, for, to, to join a company that was just getting started when you have a very, um, you know, a job you love at the university, you know, a lifestyle you love students, you enjoy working with the research. Um, But for me, it was probably one of those once in a lifetime opportunities that, you know, go for it. Right. And and I looked at the people and the opportunity and what, the hope and goal and vision was. And I said, I, I think we can do something here. And so, um, yeah, instead of talking interns, I ended up with uh, changing jobs. And what a story, this. man. It, yeah. Was that, was that a scary time? Because I, I wonder about the you know, ac- academic world, like you leave that position. It's not easy to get the thing in the first place. Was it, was it kind of like, I don't say not burning bridges, but like you were burning the ships, you were deciding to go in this direction or could you have always found another professorship somewhere else? Yeah, well, it it seems like a big deal. It's not like people, you know, just moving from job to job where you're like, oh, let me just try this job out. Like you, you were a professor and it's like, okay, that's a totally different change for you. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think um, it's one of those things, if you've ever had those decisions in life where if you think about it too much, you might talk yourself out of yeah, it. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I did kind of tell myself, hey, what's the worst that can happen? But I was, it was one of those things where I literally, I mean, I didn't necessarily answer Pierre right after he answered, asked the question. <laughs> Make him wait for it, a little bit. <laughs> my, my initial instinct was yes. You know, and whether that was just a combination of a lot of factors or just blind luck, um, but it just, it felt right in terms of, for me, the opportunity. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I thought, worst case, I can always go back to academia. But I also thought to myself, if, you know, what I learn in the Encino experience, good or bad, you know, whatever happens will make, could make me a better teacher or professor. And so I think that that was there for me. And, uh, but here we are, you know, and maybe someday I'll go back to academia, but I, I found that in many ways, marketing you're, you're, you're teaching the market, right. About, about your product, about your company. And so, um, I, I absolutely love what I do. And, um, nine years later. Yeah. It, it's amazing. And maybe you could just tell me briefly about that rapid growth. And, and now that I think about your story pointing at that billion, maybe mentally you were, you were ready for it or maybe not, but like, what was it like going from the, the 10 people around a picnic table to 1200 or more? publicly traded, international, yeah. global, multiple geographies. What is that like? It, it's a lot. And, and to do it in nine years. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's been incredible. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's in some ways it's in, it's almost hard to put in words because it's um, it happens so fast that it's, you know, you, you, you kind of, you don't always have like the things you I, I've worried about, as we grow, are we going to lose kind of our innovative spirit? Because sometimes when companies get big, you, they become more bureaucratic. So totally. I would worry about that. And, you know, what, what if we make a mistake? What if we put something out in German that, that says the wrong thing? You know, all right. these things. Um, and how do you hire 1,200 people, you yeah. know, as quickly as you need to? And how do you do that in Wilmington, North Carolina? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think what, what to me has been really amazing about the journey is not only the people who I get to work with, but it, it it's truly just, it, it's a group of people that came together with a bunch of different backgrounds. Just like I was talking about the marketing team. I mean, it happened yeah. with, with the company as well, which is good values who are good people who have a great mission um, and have a good product and want to help banks. We, we want to make banking better for consumers and banks want to make banking better for consumers. So if we have the technology to help them do that, and so I think it's, it's that combination and obviously, you know, seeing growth and success from that just fuels you more. Yeah. What was it like for you going from when you're the sole person and I'm sure you, you got support as soon as you could, but you go from being that a lot of people even listening are in that small company where you are it for marketing. And then eventually you get another team member or, you know, those, those early times, I mean, when you're at 80, you can add people and, but like early on one, maybe a part-time person or one person, then that transition, how did you stay and and how did you grow personally to, to go from being what maybe is a marketing manager at a company or head of marketing to being like the CMO of a publicly traded company? Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. So you, you hear I'm one of those people when, when you say that, I'm like, is that me? Yeah. That right. Me? <laughs> you know, you, you just, I still just think of myself as, you know, part of just, I'm a marketing guy, right. As part of the right. team, I think, well, one of the first things that's funny, you know, you mentioned, even if you are a one person team, when, when I was a one person team, the first thing I did when I left UNC Wilmington was I knew about five or six students. Yeah. Um, and I was, and I said, 
all you guys are now interns. Um, here's nice. this great opportunity. And so, you know, even if you necessarily don't, can't build a team of a lot, you know, having interns, I mean, mm. it just, anything can help, right? And, and interns want to learn. And so I think even from the get-go, I had this, a group of interns that helped me with marketing. Um, and I remember we, you know, one of them had a, a video camera and that's how we did our first videos. Um, and so, yeah, my point, so point being is that you sh yeah, there are a lot of ways to help get support around you. And I think to your point about growth is, yeah, my role has changed a lot over the years. Um, and, and now the good thing is because I've had the, the fortune to grow up with the company and with marketing is I have a great understanding of our product, the market, right, our company, but I've also had a chance to be involved in each of the different aspects. So one of my great colleagues, our, our vice president of marketing, um, Catherine, she, she runs our PR conferences. She runs a lot of those things and there's nobody better, but it helps the fact that when we started those things, I, I had to help start those, right? I had to be the one to deal with conferences, even though it's not necessarily a area of strength for me, sure. but I, I learned a lot. And so from that, you know, she's way better than I am, but it allows me to have great conversations with her and also offer any help and support I can, because again, I've had that experience. So I think what's changed a lot for me is going from, you know, literally doing it all to helping others do it and being involved to now helping support, right? All the people doing it. Um, but the one thing is that I always do want to remain involved is making sure we continue to hire great people. Because I think, you know, at the end of the day, you surround yourself with great people who are really good at what you do. And again, as we've grown, we've gotten people who specialize in areas that's changed a lot. Um, yeah. Good things are going to happen. Yeah. Man. Wild ride. And it is still going. Um, Just getting started. Man. Man, that. It's something to, I can't wait to just see. I just keep watching. You're like hopping on Elon Musk rocket. Just keep going. Oh, yeah. um, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. So I want to bounce a hypothetical question off you. Um, I may or may not have a time machine here in Nashua, New Hampshire. And, um, and I'll let sure. you use it, you know, post COVID come up here, you get some lobster, use a time machine, all good. <laughs> um, some beers at the beach, right? Yeah, that'll be the opposite. So, uh, you, you can use this time machine, but it's particular, it goes back in time and you get to go back and visit yourself a couple days after your undergrad graduation. Um, and you get to go meet Jonathan back then. Um, and you get to talk to each other. It's not like back to the future where you can't interact, right? You get to actually have a little little sesh, maybe you know, crack open some, some beer together, uh, which would be kind of fun. <laughs> um, what kind of advice would you give yourself? What kind of things would you tell yourself knowing all the things you've been through, the highs and the lows? What kind of advice would you impart? Yeah. And by the way, I've heard of this time machine that you've developed. Um, yes. I'm very intrigued by it. Yes. Yeah. Um, Designed it a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. I think it was funny. One of the, I remember um, I happened to run into uh, I mean, this is years after I graduated, I ran to some folks I went to college with and, you know, we just chatted for a little bit. I remember one of them made the comment, they're like, you haven't changed at all. And, you know, I thought that was, and I was like, that's a great compliment. Like that, that actually made me really happy it to is. hear that. And I, I think if I was to go back and, and have that undergrad conversation, I, I probably, I'd probably tell myself not to stress so much about what's, what's next. Right. And, and not put so much pressure on yourself. Um, and try to enjoy each of the moments a little more because it will work out. Um, but at the same time, I think some of that uncertainty or just, you know, if 
if I don't do anything, nothing's going to happen like career wise, any of that, mm -hmm. um, that drove me may, may not have happened. So I think I'd probably, if I went back in time, honestly, Casey, I'd probably just be fascinated to see and remember what, what, what I was like back then. Um, but I don't think I would tweak myself too much. So no, no tweaks, no, any advice? Would you give yourself any, so you, I guess the advice is don't just don't stress. Like it's all yeah, good. Yeah. Don't like, don't worry so much about 10, 15 years forward and step A to get to step B. It, it'll work out, but stress about it a little bit. So you don't get complacent. <laughs> right. Right. It makes sense. I mean, right. Because you were just doing your thing and then you were, you were cultivating opportunity without even realizing by interviewing all these CEOs and founders and, and, and making yep. school much more practical because of that, that gene or that, that design you, you were interacting with all the right people and it just it lined up. So amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool, man. So, so how's the family? <laughs> family is great. Yeah. Um, fortunately that, well, I shouldn't say fortunately, but they haven't jumped into the video feed, which is good. Uh, <laughs> they are great. Yeah. Uh, man, I don't, that, that classic guy, that British guy, right. Who, who got knocked for that reporter who had his yep. kid crawl in there and the wife like secretly crawled in that, it's funny nowadays. I don't think that would be that popular. I mean, people wouldn't really, everyone would understand it now. Yeah. That was like the first one that just set the tone for all the ones that came after. Yeah. Yeah. Poor guy. If that had happened a couple years later, <laughs> nobody would have cared. Like, Oh yeah, that happened to me yesterday. Right. right, right. <laughs> yeah. But Hey, your, uh, your son almost brand new, right? Just past a year. Yep. You're not. You, you've just come out of that fog, which is, that first year where <laughs> you're not sure if you're sleeping, yep. but it's fun. Yep. So are things settling down or what are you enjoying it? Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, it's, uh, I'm sure like any parent it's, it's stressful, right. Trying to juggle and balance it all, particularly, you know, as we we've had the pandemic, but I think, you know, if anything um, for me, you know, having a, a year and a half year old, it, it, it reminds you of what it's like to, to just see the world as sort of this just brand new. I mean, the simplest things, you know, uh, a berry. So our, our son, like every morning he gets up and he starts talking about, but he wants to go outside and pick berries off the tree. And, nice. you know, it's, I, I now get super excited about it too, but you know, like who gets excited to go out and like literally pick 10 berries off a tree and like hold True. them. What kind of berries too? Cause I'd be like, eh. These like the good kind or the bad yeah, kind? Yeah, no, these, well, I'm not, I haven't done all the sort of like tracing on them, but yeah, I'm pretty sure they're, they're not like, we, we got through the don't eat them stage. So that's good. <laughs> okay, um, good. But there's, yeah, they're, they're red. They're very bright red, um, which is probably bad. And then there's some, some very dark colored ones, probably also bad. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, again, it, it's just, I think the, the, it's obviously stressful with, with often with kids, but the joy of sort of, seeing somebody that young developing and just being around for that. And then it, yeah. it, it makes you feel younger too. I, I mean, you know, he's into trucks and like, I, I've never been more excited about a plastic truck in my life. So when he gets new toys, I'm equally excited and that's, it's awesome. Oh yeah. No, it's, it, it's crazy. And, and it's almost like it, like a fine wine. They just get better. Every, every age they add, you know, there's, there's a new element to them and, and the, and the numbers keep changing and then eventually, you know, everyone tells you, Oh, they grow up fast. You know, really there's something about the fact that everyone tells us that, right? Like, I don't know right. if you've gotten that too, where they're like, they grow up fast, yeah. you know, enjoy the time. Um, and you know, mine are 
now eight and nine. And so we had, you know, different com- now I'm, you know, fighting them in Minecraft. We're playing connected <laughs> games together and, you know, and, and I'm, I taught my, my daughter how to print the other day on a, on a computer and just like these, these kind of fun or share a Google doc for the first time, you know, yep. uh, her, her first spreadsheet. I mean, that's all kind of nerdy stuff, but right. Soccer and all the, but it's just all those little things where you're like, yeah. wow, they don't, they don't know this. And I, I live with this. Yeah. Do, do they know their, their, their dad is famous and has his own podcast? Well, and- <laughs> I don't know about the famous part, but um, we have Apple TV and we have YouTube. And, you know, so this show goes on YouTube. So every now and then if I'm scrolling through YouTube to see what I want to watch, my own show comes up and they're like, oh, my God, dad, you're on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Um, and they, they kind of spot the, the show theme. So they, they can kind of pick it out. So now I just got to teach my daughter, teaching her, you know, I need you to go and view each one of these shows at least for 30 seconds. Cause dad needs the views and don't forget to give it a thumbs up too, you know, so I can like farm that out to the kids. Right. Yeah, I'm, like I'm tempted. <laughs> uh, I'll pay a, pay a penny per, that's probably some violation of some terms. So I probably should stop talking, but uh, um, yeah, it's, it's just fun uh, seeing what they know and, and what they observe too, they're like sponges, right? Uh, I don't know if you've had something like this happen um, yet, maybe you're not at one and a half, but um, we were saying something at the dinner table and then I, I knocked on the table, like knock on wood kind of thing. So I just was like, oh yeah, you know, knock on wood. And my daughter looked at me and she was like, what was that? You know, explain, why did you knock on the table? I'm like, oh, there's this thing and it's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, but the, they pick up everything. Yeah, no, we, we've hit the stage where, um, you can no longer have gen- conversations. Like e- even though, you know, he's only got 10 words, like there's, I'm, I'm blanking on examples, but we've realized like he, he, he's understanding what we're saying. So you can't always talk in front of him or you have to spell out words. Spell it out, so right? It so, so we're at that <laughs> stage, yeah. <laughs> You're like, hey, did you get the D-O-G? Um, <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, and eventually they learn how to spell and then you just got a text because <laughs> you're like, Oh, you, you, you heard that you understood. Okay. No, well, yeah. we got to shift plans here. Yep. Oh man. Uh, well, Hey, where are some of the places people can, can reach out and contact you? You know, what social platforms are you on? Where, where do you want people to reach out? So yeah, love to, um, happy to have people reach out. I mean, you know, mainly, so Encino, obviously Encino.com, Encino has a Twitter account, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all those places uh, if you're interested in learning more about Encino. But for me, probably LinkedIn's probably the best. Uh, you know, I've I found, you know, I've kind of, I don't want to say email is just, you know, I email, you sort of get overloaded. Um, whereas LinkedIn, I, I like LinkedIn a lot because you can see people's profile. And so you get an idea of who, who's reaching out, right? And you can have yeah. some interactions through the, the messaging feature. So um, yeah, if people are interested in, in reaching out or, or contacting me, LinkedIn is probably definitely my, my favorite and preferred. It's awesome. pretty easy yeah. to find me. Yeah, we'll put, show, we'll put links in in the show notes. People just click right on through over to that. That'll be awesome. Um, but this has been great, man. This is awesome. Part one, right? Part two is on the beach with beers. <laughs> I like it. Well, Casey, and I, maybe you should share the story about um, a special special time you spent down here at Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina. I'm a big fan of Wrightsville Beach. Yeah, I, um, back before I got married, it was my girlfriend, then fiance, now wife. We uh, spent a little weekend there, and it was like liberty from the Marine Corps. I had like a weekend off, whatever they call forty eight hour pass, and I had a chance to. Man, Wrightsville is just awesome down there. It's just it's a special place for sure. 
Yeah, that's a great place. So um, yeah, I agree. So with your listener support, I think we should get you down here and we can do part two on the beach. Right. It's like I need a Patreon account, like get Casey to Wilmington, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh man, this has been great. But thank you again for coming on here and sharing this. There's so much knowledge. Like I, I was literally taking notes. I have like front and back two pages of notes over here. And I'm sure everyone else does too. Um, but thank you again. Uh, true pleasure. Um, I'm super passionate for marketing and uh, big, as I said, big fan of the show, Casey, and everything you do. So um, thanks for having me. Yeah. Much appreciated, man. Much appreciated. It's an honor that you would be listening to the show as well. And now you're on it. So now you got to listen to your own episode, at least for sure. Ooh, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a good one. Um, for those people listening, hey, we're out of here. This has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. Bye.